Hello and welcome to the first series review and preview of Devil's Talking Padres. I'm Dominic Stern, joined as always by my co-host Bobby Murphy. Bobby, how are you doing today? I'm doing good today. I'm happy to have regular season Padres baseball back. Yep, me too. The wise Ryan Cohen once said, or says after every Padres win, life is better when the Padres win. And I can surely attest to that. So we just wanted to address what happened and what is happening around Major League Baseball. The Miami Marlins, they have 11 total players who have tested positive for the coronavirus and two coaches who have tested positive for the coronavirus. This is basically an outbreak within a team. And while this hasn't impacted the MLB as a whole yet, the Marlins' home opener against the Orioles was canceled, as well as the Phillies game against the Yankees that was supposed to be yesterday now which is which was Monday and the Yankees Phillies will play on Tuesday but they didn't play on Monday Orioles Marlins is not happening and we just want to emphasize you know stuff around the major leagues is happening this was bound to happen but uh, baseball is continuing at this point this is a Potters podcast we don't want that to take up too much time we did want to mention it, acknowledge that it is happening, and we just wanted to make sure that you guys are aware of it because, you know, there's there's more to baseball than Padres. So with that, let's let's review the Padres' first series of 2019, the home opener, and it was, it was a glorious series. There's no other way to go around it. It was a glorious series. The Padres won the first two, dropped the third one. The bullpen kind of threw that one away, but then won the series finale, taking the series three games to one, winning the home opener seven to two. Bobby, what jumped out to you in this first game on opening day? The biggest thing, of course, that jumped out to me, Dom, was Eric Hosmer's resurgence. He had an amazing first game, three for four, six RBIs, two bases loaded, bases clearing doubles. And that was the biggest thing that jumped out to me is Especially against lefties, he did pretty well that game, and he, he finished 3-for-4, four four, and that just made me so happy to see Eric Hosmer do well to start off the season. Yeah, a lot of people, including me, were questioning why Hosmer was batting in front of Myers against the left-hand pitcher, especially like Madison Bumgarner, who likes to throw near 100 pitches. That's what he did. Hosmer, he was very impressive, but the starting pitching staff was impressive all series. And that got started with Chris Paddock. He was extremely good. He ended up going six innings scoreless with only four strikeouts, which for Chris isn't that good, but the Diamondbacks are a very good team. They do a good job of prolonging at-bats, fouling off pitches. He induced a lot of weak contact, got out of some jams early, but after the third inning, his last three innings, not a single runner reached scoring position. So Chris did a really good job. He already mentioned Hosmer, but what was really impressive was when the batting order came around the third time, the at-bats became really, really good. You know, there were several at-bats that went to full counts, which a lot of them led the walks. And the Potters didn't necessarily hit the ball that well this series, but they got on base, and then there were some timely hits that led to multiple runs. And this was a prime example, especially led by Eric Cosmer, who had six RBIs. And... Some people say that Eric Hosmer, just because he gets RBS, doesn't mean he's a good player. There's definitely a little bit of clutchness that comes with Eric Hosmer. Being able to drive in runners on base, 
So Eric did a good job on opening day, especially against the left-handed pitcher. He, however, did not play in the next game. Still against left-handed pitcher Robbie Ray. Potters ended up winning this game 5-1 to one still. Bobby, what did you think of this game? The two things that jump out to me from this game was all of our runs were produced from Machado and Will Myers' two home runs. And that, that totally helps a lot. Just, of course, getting some run support for the pitchers. We had, uh, when Lamette came out, we had a 3-1 lead, so he was able to get the win. And Lamette did great that game. He had five innings. He did have five hits, but that's, that's okay. Only one and run. And what Lamette does, he strikes, he strikes batters out. He had eight strikeouts in this game. Right. You mentioned that Nelson Lamette had five hits. Well, Guess how many hits the Arizona Diamondbacks had this game, Bobby? Five. They only had five hits, which means the bullpen was extremely effective, not allowing a single hit and not allowing any walks, actually, too. So they didn't really, they didn't allow any base runners. Matt Strom went an inning in a third. Craig Stamond went an inning in two thirds. And then Kirby Yates came and locked the game down. Now, Kirby did come into this game up by four runs, did get two strikeouts. He pitched well, you know. It's hard to complain when your closer comes in, shuts the door for his first appearance. You know, it's cool and all. But Kirby Yates would then pitch the next game. He would come in in a tie game, 2-2, two to two, in the top of the ninth, and he blew the game. There's really no other way to say it. He blew the game. Um, Potters ended up losing this game 4-3. to three. What do you think of the Potters' first loss of the year? The first loss of the year was not very well. They only hit two for 13 with runners in scoring position, so we can't put it all in the pitchers. Obviously, Pagan and Yates did not do well, but we need to do better with runners in scoring position. And this game, we, of course, only had three runs, and two of those came in the last two innings. So earlier, we need to do a lot better. Will Myers had a bad ground out with the bases loaded in the first inning, and we just need to get that early lead going. Right. You mentioned the runners in scoring position. That's always been a weakness of the Padres team. You know, I don't want to say it's carried over to this year. It hasn't been great. Uh, certainly it improved in the fourth game, but outside of Eric Hosmer in that first game, it wasn't really great. All series, second game, like you mentioned, both runs came on home runs. You know, those are, those aren't really hits of runners to score position. That's just the home run. You know, it does, it does count, but it's kind of different. But the Padres also had some hard hit outs with two outs. You know, Tommy Pham. Flew out to the wall. Cole Calhoun made a jumping catch. And I can't forget what inning, but uh, Cole Calhoun saved a couple of runs after they intentionally walked Manny Machado to face Fam. Fam almost made them pay. And I believe the second inning, Trent Grisham hit a rocket down the first baseline and Jake Lamb made a diving play. That would have scored a couple. It would have brought up Manny Machado with the chance to get some runs in. And then, of course, you remember the Tommy Fam line out in the ninth inning that David Peralta made a spectacular play on. That wasn't with two outs, but if that ball gets down, you can infer that he's going to score on Jake Cronenworth's ball to right field. Congrats to Jake Cronenworth and, and Edward Olivares for getting their first hits in their major league career. But the Padres showed a good amount of fight in this third game, uh, managing to come back twice. The second one uh, ultimately fell short. But it shows that this team had some fight. You love to see that when they're down, they're going to fight, try and get back into the game. 
you saw a couple of times last year when the Padres went down, they kind of just sunk their heads and gave up. I don't think we'll be seeing much of that from this team. This team will also be in a playoff race for the entire season, so that's going to be a little different. But this loss was tough. Bringing in Pagan the eighth inning, in two innings so far this year, he has three in runs. I'm not saying that he's not good, but there there's a bit of a concern there thus far. Do I think he can improve? Absolutely. You can only really go up from here. He was so good last year for Tampa Bay. He was their closer. He was a closer for a playoff team. So I think Pagan will step it up. But for the meantime, I think it might be time to take him out of that eighth inning role. Might want to give it to Pomerantz. In two innings, he is allowed zero earned runs. So it might make some more sense to put Pomerantz in that role. And then Kirby Yates comes in in a tie game. And it's very well known throughout baseball that closers in non-safe situations are not as good. And it showed. Kirby blew the game. Now, you mentioned there were other things to blame the game on. That's true. But Kirby Yates came in with a tie game. And when he came out, the Potters were losing. So that was not ideal. But bringing him in on back-to-back nights, one in which the Potters were up by four with nobody on, and the other one in which he comes in in a non-safe situation, it's a little questionable. It wasn't great managing. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. You know, that was probably Jay Stingler's first ever managerial mistake. He's going to make a lot over his career. That's just the way baseball works. But that was just not great managing. One player who did really impress me in this game was Garrett Richards in his in his uh, season to be with the Padres. He went five innings, only one hit. I think he walked three batters, but he had six Ks. So he had five shutout innings to get to that bullpen who unfortunately was not able to to keep the game tied, but Garrett Richards did great in his first start of the season. Right, and I would I would say that Garrett Richards is kind of the X factor of this team. You know, the Potters have those two horses in Chris Paddock and Nelson Lamed up at the top of their rotation. I don't think a lot of people are concerned there. Garrett Richards, we all know, has the capability of being good. He's been a very, very good pitcher in the past. Doesn't seem like he's that guy anymore, but he still has the good stuff. And if he can be somewhere near what he was in his prime as a Los Angeles Angel, he can bridge the gap between those two guys and then Joey Lucchese, Zach Davies, Cal Quantrill, the young prospects, the guys that we aren't so sure about. So I think Garrett Richards is the X factor of this team. If he pitches well, the Padres will make the playoffs. I think it's that simple. Another thing I wanted to point out, Josh Naylor had a pretty bad game. First two at-bats were strikeouts and not very good strikeouts. His third at-bat, he had a weak rounder because he got behind 0-2. And Cattell Marte bobbled the ball, and Josh Naylor beat it out. That was cool. You know, good for Josh. He, he slimmed down. He's gained a lot of speed, and he was able to beat it out. That's cool. doesn't change the fact that it was a bad at-bat, but he found a way to get on base, and that's all the Padres need. But then he made a crucial, crucial mistake by sliding late and ended up going through the bag. And then the next pitch, or maybe it wasn't the next pitch, but the next step at, Fernando Tatis Jr. ripped the ball in the right field, and Josh Naylor was 100% scoring. Josh Naylor was 100% scoring. And at that point, the Padres were winning. And when you're winning and you score another run, opposing teams' morale really crashes. And I think the Padres missed a huge opportunity to score there. And 
Then Josh is next at bat. He came up with runners on base and he swung at the first pitch and hit an infield pop up. He is going to be a big part of this team, DHing against right handed pitchers. He ended up not playing yesterday against a right handed pitcher, and I think that might have been the reason why. Yeah, I'm really hoping that against right-handed pitchers this year, where Naylor might get a lot of time at DH, I'm really hoping that he can produce in that spot, because we will need him as a lefty hitter with Cordero gone. Right. And the trade piece that we got for French Cordero has done really well. Tim Hill faced four batters, got them all out, can't really ask for more than that. He's got two strikeouts. He pitched in the second game, and then he pitched yesterday in the Padres' win Potters took the series finale 6-2 to two with five runs in the fourth inning. Cal Quantrill ended up getting the win after coming in relief for Joey Lucchese in the fourth inning. What did you think of this game? This game was amazing. We only allowed two runs. The bullpen was great. Quantrill, Hill, Perdomo, Stammen, they were all great. Perdomo struck out two over two innings. Tim Hill came in and did great with with his strikeout in the one inning. But what amazed me was that fourth inning. That fourth inning was amazing. Scoring all five runs with zero outs. And it started off with Profar drawing a walk again. He has drawn five so far in this season. But he let off the inning with a walk, followed by a Myers double. And then Greg Garcia, who had that great pinch hit, clutch hit, in the loss in the third game, he had a clutch hit, hit then. He had an amazing bunt to bring Profar in. And then Mejia got beaned, and Oliveris had a great RBI single, giving Tatis the ba- with the bases loaded. And what he, what did he do? Cleared the bases with the triple, and that was just awesome. Yeah, and you mentioned all these runs are scored with no outs, which is cool. But there's always a dark side to that, because Fernando Tatis Jr. was stranded on third after hitting a no-out triple. That's obviously never ideal. Grisham struck out. Manny was intentionally walked, and then Tommy Pham grounded him to a double play. You mentioned Jerickson Profar. He only has one hit so far, but his OBP is 375. So Jerickson Profar doesn't have the best hitting past. I don't think he's really going to do much hitting-wise, but what he does really well is he draws walks. And if you're going to draw walks, I honestly don't care. You don't have to hit. I would like for you to hit. Singles and walks are the same thing with no runners on base. With runners on base... You could argue single is more valuable than a walk because singles can allow the runners to move up more. But chances are, when you put the ball in play, most of the time you're going to get out. That's just that's just the way baseball works. Taking less of a risk by trying to draw walks. Now, of course, he needs to go up to the plate trying to get a base hit, trying to get on base however he can, but he's realizing that his strength is going to be drawing walks. He's just done a really good job of that so far. Yeah, and our plate discipline has been amazing so far this season. We've drawn 23 walks in four games, easily leading the league. Looking totally different this year. These guys that we got, Grisham, Pham, and Profar, they, we got them to get on base. And they've totally been doing that. The at-bats have been extended very much. We've had so many full counts so far in these four games, and we're just making pitchers work for that out. And the Potters walked four times today. That was the least amount of times they walked this series. If you would have told me that coming into the season, I would have said you were crazy. That's just the way it is. What outside of the walks impressed you the most this series? I'm going to say the starting pitching. The starting pitching so far has been great. We've seen Paddock, Lamette, Richards all do, do very well. They've Most of them allowed zero runs or one run over five or six innings, and we don't need them to go deep in the games. I know that that third game, our bullpen totally blew it, but we have a top three bullpen 
in the whole MLB this year, and we don't need starting pitchers to go that far in games when we have a great bullpen. And yeah, the starting pitching has just been absolutely phenomenal so far. Yep, couldn't say any better myself. One thing the Pirates need to do a little better in this next series is once they get to the bullpen or if they get a starting pitcher out early, they need to be able to hit that reliever that comes in for the long run. When the Diamondbacks brought in Alex Young on Sunday, the Potters didn't really do much. He was pretty effective. When the Diamondbacks brought in Taylor Clark on Monday, he went three and two-thirds scoreless, didn't allow a single hit, did walk two guys, but you can't really just rely on getting a lead early and then just sitting back. Obviously, the Potters have the bullpen, so they're going to be able to do that, but you can't rely on that every time. you got to find ways to get leads, and then stomp on the opponent's throats. Okay, moving ahead, let's now preview this next series. The Padres will be traveling up to San Francisco for a three-game series with our rivals, San Francisco Giants. So the San Francisco Giants are 2-2, two and two, and, you know, that's not totally unexpected. The Giants aren't a very good team, but, you know, anything's possible. It's baseball. But when you consider the fact that they were facing the Los Angeles Dodgers, the, the consensus best team in the National League, this was very shocking. What did you make of the series for the Giants? They played pretty well. I mean, they had a few they had a few blowout losses. I think their two losses were eight one and nine one in their first two games. But so they just couldn't get any of the bats going, and their pitching did not look great. But their last two games. They won both very close games, I think 5-4 and 3-1. So they looked a lot better in the last two games. Yeah, definitely. And if you, if you watch the game, the first two games were just bad. But in the next two, the Dodgers kind of just really threw away a lot of opportunities. And I wouldn't expect too much of this from the Dodgers. I, you know, it's, it's fun to joke around with the Dodgers fans on Twitter, you know, making fun of them for being 2-2, two and two, especially when the two losses came against San Francisco Giants. And, you know, they probably deserve it. But this team's going to be really good. Don't expect this at all. The Giants, you know, first game, they lost 1-8. to eight, But Dodgers scored seven runs in the last two innings. So it was really a close game. And then the Dodgers blew it open. Next one, you know, kind of more of the same thing. It's 2-1 to one for three, and the Dodgers scored in every other inning after that. that that's more of what you can expect from the Dodgers. Giants also made four errors. In that game, Giants made a lot of errors this series. They also made a lot of incredible plays. You know, that's that's something that stood out to me. And then the third game, the Giants scored five runs in the first four innings and then didn't score the rest of the game. But the Dodgers just found every way possible to not score, and the Giants ended up winning. And then in the final one, the Giants ended up winning 3-1, to one, scored a couple of runs late, and the Dodgers just couldn't do anything offensively. What I would say is that this Giants team might be a little bit better than we expected. They have some young talent, and they're all trying to play for roster spots in the future. So you have to take them seriously. The Padres are better than them, 100%. And I'd expect the Padres to win this series, at least taking two games out of three. But we'll preview the pitching matchups in a little bit. The Padres need to get two out of three games in the series. They need to take the Giants seriously because this is a season where anything is unexpected. You can run into a pitcher who is just unbelievable at any given night. We've all 
seen that before, especially against us. You know, we're very prone to no hitters against San Francisco Giants, especially Tim Lincecum. I was at one of those. Yeah, it was on my birthday. We don't need to bring that up. They need to take this game seriously. They need to find ways to not go out after games because they're no longer at home. They're now on the road. This is different. I'm not saying these guys need to just lock up and do nothing. Like, you know, go get food, hang out with their teammates. That's fine. But Potters need to take this series seriously because I don't think the Dodgers did that. I think they thought they were going to roll over them, as did every single person who follows baseball. And guess what? That didn't happen, and now the Dodgers are the laughing stock of baseball. Will that change? 110%. But Potters need to take this series seriously. Yeah, I totally agree. We can't just come into this thinking that we'll just win two out of three. We still need to work for that, obviously. And I'd love to see a sweep, but we have to win two out of these three games. Right, and I have a bet with a friend of mine from Arizona State who is a Giants fan. The winner of the series gets a uh, box combo from Canes, so I, I would like to not pay for someone else's food because the Padres lose two out of three games to the Giants. <laughs> All right, first game of the series, Zach Davies will be making his San Diego Padres debut, and he'll be going up against Jeff Samarja. What do you think of this matchup? I'm very excited to see what Zach Davies can do in his season debut. Last year, he had a 3.55 ERA, and he's only 27 years old. So I'm excited to see what he can do. He had a solid year last year. This is Jeff's season debut. So I'm excited to see what Zach Davies can do for us. And I'd love to see if we can keep drawing walks and have great plate discipline. In Samarja's career against San Diego Padres, he's a 3.58 ERA against us in 123 innings. So that's a pretty decent sample size, 1.17 whip in that time. He knows how to pitch against the Padres. Last year, 24 innings, 3.33 ERA, 1.274 whip. So the Padres are getting hits. So they're going to need to capitalize on scoring opportunities early because San Francisco Giants bullpen really showed in the first two games that you can get to them. But the Dodgers just needed to capitalize on runners scoring position, which is something the Padres didn't do great. In this first series, but they they did better than they had in the past. So Potters are going to need to get to Jeff Samarja. He's going to fill the strike zone. They can't necessarily rely on walks this series. And Zach Davies has two career starts against the Giants in AT&T Park. Now Oracle Park, but when he made the starts, it was Oracle Park. First one came back in 2017. He threw six shutout innings. Well, six innings. No earned runs, I should say. I'll add six hits. And then last year, he threw five innings, six hits, but he gave up three runs. Two of them were home runs. So in two career starts, he's a 2.45 ERA in 11 innings. It's not a huge sample size. Playing up in San Francisco, it's very, very pitcher-friendly. So, you know, you said you're excited to see what Zach Davies can do. Potters went on acquired in this offseason, gave up young Luis Arias, who I'm still pretty high on, and Eric Lauer, who took a little bit of a step forward last year. So Zach Davies needs to perform this year in order to make that trade worthwhile because Trent Grisham's going to do what he's going to do. But Zach Davies can just add a little bit more of edge to that trade for the Padres. And then in the second game will be the battle of the two aces for the team, Chris Paddock. We'll be making a second start against Johnny Cueto. 
And Johnny Cueto started the season opener against the Los Angeles Dodgers. What do you think of this game? Very excited to see Paddock out there on the mound for his second game of the season. In the first game, as what he did last year, he was one of the league leaders in this first pitch strikes. In the first game this year, he had he faced 21 batters, 16 first pitch strikes, and I expect him to continue doing that, gain command, and I'm probably going to expect some more strikeouts from him. Not a big deal as long as there's no runs, but he only had, as you mentioned, only four and six innings. Not a big deal, but I'm excited to see what he can do. And Johnny Cueto, I think he's only pitched, what, 13 games in the past two years combined, so I'm... I'm interested in seeing what he can do as the team's ace. Even though he's getting older, he's 34 now, but he is still the team's ace. So I'm looking forward to see how our lineup can do against him. Johnny Cueto, he's a gamer. Swan, Swan World Series, very good pitcher. You can always expect good adding out of him. In his career against San Diego Padres at 100 innings, he's got a 3.33 ERA, 1.178 whip, so he's got... He's done well against the Padres uh, in his All-Star season in 2016, which he started the All-Star game against the Padres. 32 innings, 1.41 ERA. That's that's nuts. But in 2017, 16 innings, 5.06 ERA. So whichever Cueto we see against the Padres will likely dictate this match. But I wouldn't expect him to go long. You already mentioned he's had some injuries. Uh, but... He he does those weird quick pitches and then holds his long pause to try and uh, mess up with a hitter's timing. So the Padres want to try and get a batter on base. So that way he can't do that. You know, Fernando Tatis Jr., he's leading off. If he can find a way to get on base for the top of the order, that would be huge to start off that game. Send a message early saying, hey, we're, we're not here to mess around. We're not the Dodgers. And then Chris Paddock, last year, he started two games in San Francisco. First one went five innings, six hits, three earned runs, so that's not his best effort. Then the second one, he was way better, seven innings, five hits, one earned run. I'd expect another great outing from Chris Paddock. You know, throw strikes, let your defense do work. Chris Paddock pitches well this game. I can't see the Padres losing unless if Johnny Cueto ends up lasting longer than everyone thinks. And for the final game, the Giants haven't announced their starting pitcher, but we can definitely infer that Denelson Lamette will start this game. This game will be on national television on Fox Sports 1. All these games start at 6.45 p.m. We already kind of talked about Lamette, so I don't think we need to really preview this game. But, Bobby, do you think it's necessary that the Padres sweep the Giants, or would you just be okay with getting two out of three? I don't think it'd be necessary to sweep the Giants. We would, all San Diego fans would for sure love to see it, but worst case scenario has to be win two out of three, and there's nothing better than a best case, than sweeping, so best case scenario obviously would have to be a sweep, but I'm for sure expecting to see winning two out of three with Paddock and Lamette pitching. I would also love to send a tone to the Giants saying, hey, this is our decade. You know, we're not, we're, I don't think we're going to be great the whole decade. You know, it's always tough to expect, especially out of a smaller market team like the Padres. But last year to start the decade off, 
the San Francisco Giants stole the division from us and ended up winning three series that decade and made another playoff appearance. And I don't want to say the Giants don't win any of the World Series if they don't win that division in 2010, but it's highly likely that that team's morale and confidence is totally different that entire decade. So it would be nice to start this decade with a sweep against the Giants, saying, hey, we're not here to mess around. We're legit. And this is going to be a good decade for us, and your decade is going to start off horribly. I think that would just be awesome. You know, I mean, that's just me as a fan saying, hey, Giants, screw you. We hate you. You've killed us for so many years. It's our turn now. Yeah, and there's so many guys on this roster that, I mean, I'm not a Giants fan. I don't look into them that much, but there's so many guys on this roster that I just don't know. Obviously, there's Hunter Pence, who is 0 for 11 this year so far. Of course, there's we got Pop, big boy Pablo Sandoval and ex-Padre Alex Dickerson, who, if I'm correct, he has probably hit hit a home run or two against us while he's been on the Giants, as all ex-Padres do. But I think that Paddock Lamette should totally take advantage of this of this lineup. And after this series, we hopefully could be six or could be five and two, and we could be setting the tone to the league, saying, "Hey, watch out for us." Most definitely. Alex Dickerson did hit a home run against the San Diego Padres last year. He didn't hit very well against us, but he did get a home run. Padres, you definitely want to be five and two following the series. Six and one would be awesome, especially going to Colorado. The Padres can find a way to limit the amount of pitching, and especially the bullpen, in the series. That would be huge. I also wouldn't be shocked if we see the first roster call up before we go to Colorado. That would just make sense. You know, getting an extra arm in for that series, especially with the Dodgers to follow, you know, it's never a bad idea to at least, you know, look a little forward, you know, just examining the schedule. Who do but you think I, you could have? Uh, someone we called up, well, if we need a lefty, Adrian Marejon or even Mackenzie Gore. Mackenzie Gore didn't look great in summer camp. His fastball command isn't quite there. His off-speed is unbelievable, and his fastball is still good, but the command isn't quite there. For a righty, Michelle Baez, probably, he can go both ways, can start, give you two or three innings, or he can come out of the pen. So those are some guys I could expect to see get called up soon, either before Colorado or after Colorado. I'd be very excited to see Mackenzie Gore come up, as all Padres fans are, but I just cannot wait to see him pitch. You got anything else to say before we wrap this up? Nothing much else. Just excited to see the Padres back out there again, see what our pitching staff can do, and, of course, our lineup. The plate discipline so far has been amazing. This is a new era of Padres baseball, and I'm loving what I'm seeing. Yep, Brown is back. Padres have not lost a game in which they wore the pinstripes. So I say we just run those gold pinstripes out on the road until we lose, and then we can run the brown out. Uh, Potters lost in their their hideous new camo green uniforms. It, it, they're awful. Would you agree with me on that? I mean, I do love the camos on Sundays. It's always been a thing. I was wearing my camo sock, my camo Potters socks on Sunday, but it just just didn't seem right. Um, but I, I like will the, always the traditional camo is cool. Oh yeah, yeah, the traditional camo is great. But these but ones this new one sucks. Yeah. Good. All right. You're 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 not blind, Bobby. You love to hear it. All right. <laughs> All right. And with that, that's gonna wrap up 
this series preview and review. Uh, you can expect a lot more of these to come. We're going to try and do them with every series. This series is kind of weird because the series ended on Monday, and, uh, you know, it's just kind of weird. But that's going to wrap this episode up. Thank you for tuning in. We will catch you on the next preview.